It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself, the world with its own needs. Something to your own head, beat it up, and I've seen got no seats. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, the fire, of the gangs, the government for hire in the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, leave the jury beat it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the Hour of Doom. And Bloom! Hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a paragon of perseverance in a perilous world. <laughs> I'm Joe Alden, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 700 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I am Amy Alton. I'm a certified nurse midwife and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. That's right, also known as Nurse Amy. She's the hostess with the mostess. So sharp, I'm running out of Band-Aids here. Help me. Together, we are the watchers on the wall, and we watch it all for you to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. What's up, Buttercup? We learn as much from you as you do from us, so connect with us. It is so easy, so easy. Here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Contact us by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. You can find us on Facebook at our group Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy, and our Facebook pages, Doom and Bloom and Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show, and don't forget our YouTube channel at Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy, and our video cast the first and third Wednesday live at aroundthecabin.com. Not only that, we are going to be traveling again soon. We're going to be heading to Louisville, Kentucky, October 9th and 10th. 10th and 11th. 10th and 11th. You were close, though. Oh, so close. 24 hours. On the 10th and 11th of October, you can come see us at the NPS Expo. It's going to be a big old event, and it's in Louisville, Kentucky, and I certainly hope that if you're anywhere in the area, you'll come and say hi. Okay. You know, there are many ways to skin a cat, but how many ways are there to close a cat's skin? Pretty much the same number of ways that you can close a human skin. Now, sutures, staples, and tape butterfly closures, like Steri-Strips, those are common methods, but there's another one, topical skin adhesive glues. Now, topical glues have been used since the 1940s, but 
It took more than three decades for them to actually be approved by the FDA. Now, since that time, they have become the favorite method of closure for a lot of surgical procedures. So let's talk a little bit about the properties and uses of skin adhesives, especially as they apply to survival scenarios. Now, note I'm not going to be talking a lot about cosmetic results, as that issue is not going to be very important in an austere setting. Topical skin adhesives, or skin glues, are liquids or gels made from a mixture of cyanoacetate and formaldehyde. Put that together and you have something called cyanoacrylate. Now these glues become solid upon contact with skin, thus holding wound edges together. The original cyanoacrylates, methyl cyanoacrylate, comprise what's now called superglue. Newer octal and butyl cyanoacrylate, like Dermabond and Surgiseal, came later. These are mostly by prescription only, and I'll tell you, they're about 10 times, maybe 12 times, 15 times the cost of regular superglue. Topical skin adhesives are useful in a number of specific circumstances, and they have some benefits that you won't see with some other methods of wound closure. For example, they're quick to apply. They're relatively painless in terms of a method of closing skin. Uh, they don't leave those hatch marks that you see with sutures and staples. They don't require removal. Skin glues slough off by themselves, usually spontaneously after about five to 10 days. Skin glues don't require any lidocaine or other anesthetic injections. And this makes them a lot less problematic to use in kids or anybody who's afraid of needles. They create an environment that speeds healing, provide a, a barrier to bacteria, and they decrease the wound infections as a result with gram-positive ones like staph. Now, topical skin adhesives, they're best used for simple cuts, such as some traumatic lacerations that you might see. You want to use them for wounds that are completely dry. In other words, not bleeding anymore. They have to be completely dry. You can use them for areas where there's no skin tension. In other words, where you, the skin edges aren't difficult to pull together manually. Areas that are free of hair or that have been shaved. External areas right on the skin. Of course, in children, as we just mentioned, to avoid pain of local anesthetic injection and short to medium length lacerations, not anything that goes from stem to stern on a person. Skin glues or adhesives are not helpful or it could be dangerous in some situations. So you want to avoid them for use inside the mouth or any other internal cavity. You want to avoid them in high moisture areas like the groin or armpit, even on top of the skin, even if it's external, because those areas are going to be moist and that's going to be difficult for the glue to really take hold. Around the eyes, I think you have to use that with extreme caution. Too close to the eyes, you're going to get in trouble. On joints, they're not the best to use because those joints get so much activity and so much strain put on them by constant use. Unless the area of that joint is immobilized by a splint, really super glue or medical glues really are, uh, they're just not that useful. Uh, in areas where there are flaps of skin that have been torn off due to trauma or very jagged lacerations, you probably don't want to use skin glue on that. Infected wounds, you definitely don't want to close them with any type of skin closure method. And same thing goes with any wound that has dead tissue or tissue that's gangrenous or that has died as a result of loss of circulation. Of course, like with any chemical compound, you shouldn't use anything in which you know you're allergic to or have some kind of sensitivity reaction. When you compare sutures and staples to topical skin glues, you really have to think about a few factors here. Uh, you have to know that the wound strength with glues, it's less 
than with staples or sutures, probably only about 10% as strong as staples or sutures, especially in the early going. But after several days, the healed skin strength with glue is nearly equal to other methods as the skin begins to knit together. I would say that this is improved greatly if you use skin glue with butterfly closures or stereostrips, things like that. There's no reason that you can't use more than one method to close a wound. Another thing that's important to know is that if you have antibacterial ointments like triple antibiotic cream, that's great to put on top of suture and staple closures, but don't do that. Don't put them on top of skin closures done with glue because they'll weaken the strength of that adhesive. Blood or fluid is something else that's that's an issue and in some wounds that have a tendency to drain and blood or fluid may collect under the, the skin glue layer. With sutures and staples, actually you don't mind some drainage from the wound. You really want to sort of get that stuff out of the wound. Uh, a little drainage is not bad. And some people even put drains, actual uh, tubing called drains that allow that to come out. It's actually preferable to having it collect under the skin or internally, certainly. So, but the bottom line is with glues, the risk of infection might be increased if there is any drainage or if there's any bleeding under the glue layer. It might even prevent the skin from being able to knit together. Now let's talk about how to use skin glue. Before using any method of closure, no matter what it is, you have to take really, really meticulous care to make sure that you completely flushed out any debris or bacteria in an open wound. Now this should be done with an antiseptic solution, at least at first, uh, like betadine, Let's say we've controlled all the bleeding. That's very important. Any bleeding has to be completely controlled. If deep layers are needed to close dead space, and uh, we've talked about dead space on the show a lot, you can't have dead space. You can't have open pockets of air or inflammatory fluid that collects inside the wound. That is a reason to leave the wound open and allow it to heal from the inside out. That's called granulation. Now, when you're ready to close the skin, what you want to do is you want you or your assistant to approximate the skin edges carefully and then you want to gently brush the glue over the laceration sometimes these things are in or many times these things are in applicators or in ampules you crush the ampule and then you brush the glue over the laceration first and whatever you do do not push any of this glue below the level of the skin it is not going to allow the edges of the skin to be in contact with each other and it will not close so making sure you don't push any below the level of the skin. You gently brush the glue over the laceration and you apply about three layers of the adhesive over the wound. And what you do is you widen the area of glue coverage with each layer to increase the strength of the closure. So you want it maybe sort of an ever widening oval if it's a straight laceration. Now, once completely dry, add those stereostrips and increase the strength of the closure if you have them. That has to occur once things have dried completely. And by the way, it should be noted that some people experience a sensation of heat to the area when you first apply the glue, so don't be surprised if that occurs. But let's talk a little bit about regular superglue. As I've mentioned a number of times, that superglue is perfectly fine to close a wound. It is. It will function like a medical glue. It is not exactly the same. You, know, you have to remember that many underdeveloped countries might not be able to afford the expense of medical glues, and maybe countries like Cuba, where they don't have two nickels to rub together. I mean, emergency rooms have had to resort to regular superglue as a closure method. It is indeed comparable, but it should be noted that 
superglue closures are more important to keep absolutely dry because they break down a little more easily than medical glue does. Now, some people will experience skin irritation or even mild burn from industrial strength superglue. You can test for the tendency to have this kind of problem beforehand by having people in your group put a drop of superglue on the skin on the inside of their forearm. If there's a significant reaction such as redness or itching, avoid this method of closure on that particular person or indeed use the prescription version Dermabond. Now, in my experience, gel versions of superglue are easier to handle due to less dripping. Of course, standard medical texts will tell you to avoid superglue altogether, but in a survival setting, you're going to have to make decisions based on what you have available. The medic will often have to make do with suboptimal methods and equipment, but you know what? Something is better than nothing. It'll be easier to stockpile commercial glue than the expensive medical adhesives. You know, as a survival medic, you have to know how to use all the tools in the medical woodshed. If you learn the pros and cons of every method of skin closure, you'll be better able to succeed, even if everything else fails. Hey, we've got a very special guest today, someone who's done more to help our children think about self-reliance than anyone I know. And I'm talking about Navy Chaplain Kermit Jones, author of the Prepper Pete series of books geared to teach children about the virtues of preparedness. It's so important to instill a moral compass in each succeeding generation, and that's something that's hard to do with computers and social media and reality shows and all the rest that comes with life in the 21st century. Kermit Jones and Prepper Pete will help our kids become resilient in the face of adversity. Now, a little bit about our friend Kermit Jones. He stumbled across the idea of a prepper book for kids when trying to decide how to explain the topic to his four young daughters. He's a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland, spending a few years as a surface warfare officer, after which he resigned his commission and entered the Navy Chaplain Corps. A reservist, he was recently recalled to active duty. Now, in addition to writing children's books, he's an instructor on topics of personal and emergency preparedness, and his gun safety book, Prepper Pete's Gun of a Son, has taken Kindle's number one spot in children's nonfiction. And now, here's Nurse Amy with our friend, Kermit Jones. Hey, Kermit, are you there? I'm here. Hi, Amy. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, and I'm so happy to be able to actually talk to you and meet you for the first time, because we've been interested in your books for a long time. Well, it's an honor to meet you, too. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Doom and, and Bloom. I love what you guys bring to the table as far as uh, kind of putting some of the medical stuff in terms that people can actually understand and attainable for the average person. So it's, been, it's an honor to kind of meet you and talk to you in person as well. Thank you so much. And I, and I just want to say a big thank you for your service to our country. Thank you. It, it's probably the greatest job in the world being able to be a chaplain for the Navy. Well, uh, I got to, lead, to meet a lot of Navy personnel, and um, they're absolutely just amazing. What, what a great place to live. So, so full of, I would say, like true blood Americans, really. Yes, ma'am. It's, it's a pretty good group, and uh, most of them are very dedicated and are, want to serve their country in an amazing way. And, you know, I, I sometimes joke and say that I, I'm a youth minister for the nation's largest organized youth group because uh, 85 of, 85% of the people in the Navy pretty much are under the age of 22, and yet they wow. have, they've agreed to be ripped up and taken around the world to serve their country and do what they're called to. So it's, uh, it's pretty awesome to see that in person. It was a, a fantastic experience. I'm so 
know how we got to go. Um, but let's talk a little bit about your books, and uh, can you tell us a little bit, a little bit about what sparked your interest in prepping? I kind of grew up, you know, doing watching MacGyver, which is I kind of considered him one of the one of the originals, um, and so just had a good time doing that. But as far as prepping, what we would refer to it today, I think uh, I was reading a book uh, called Avalon: The Retreat by L. Michael Russon. It's about kind of a post World War III end of the world. These people have a retreat that they go to, and and their preppers or survivalists, and that mm-hmm. really kind of set me down the road. And then I discovered that my wife's sister and her husband are had been doing it for several years prior to that. And so they're like, Oh, welcome welcome on board type thing and they uh they <laughs> kind of they kind of brought me up to speed and I started learning things about them that I never knew otherwise, which was kinda of cool. And from there it just kinda of, it just kinda of avalanched uh, and I'm a person, you know, I think that when we talk about just different things, uh it shouldn't be something we do but more of a lifestyle. And that's really what mm-hmm. kind of interests me about prepping. It's a, it's a mindset in a lot of ways. It's not just something that you do during the week. It, it's kind of how you live your life. And so it's kind of just morphed, and it was a good fit, and I love doing it, and I really enjoy it. But uh, the book Avalon is what started me down the road, and now I'm here. So it's been an interesting journey. And you were surprised. I think that happens a lot. I think we all try to keep it kind of to ourselves, like give hints every once in a while. But it's hard to just call up your brother or sister who's an adult who's living in an isolated world and they're not really thinking about any bad things happening and saying, hey, did you realize the whole world is have, going to heck in a handbasket and, you know, your world could collapse at any second? You know, that phone call is really hard to yeah. make. So that's why your relatives didn't tell you. But it's nice that you've got a group there that you can talk to about these things with that's wonderful yeah it was and i think you make it you make a great point it's kind of hard to call somebody up and say so are you prepared for the end of the world <laughs> and that's really uh so the the funny part is as far as the prepper pete series go um the first book i was trying to explain to my kids without scaring them but the second book that came out was the 12 days of prepper christmas and uh-huh. that was actually based on them uh, the year that I kind of became a prepper, I guess, officially, uh, they mm-hmm. came to me and brought, that was my Christmas gift one year. And they literally came across, they were singing the song on the first day of prepper Christmas, my true love gave to me. And each one of their kids came out and had like whatever that day of Christmas was for the prepper Christmas. And so we were, we were it was a phenomenal time because the, the first day you get a luggable, a luggable Lewis and bio TP and, uh, Everything in the 12 Days of Prepper Christmas in the book fits in a luggable loo. So that was, that was my Christmas present that year, and uh, it, was, it was a stroke of genius. It was, it was a blast, and so it was just a really cool way to kind of say, hey, you know, you're one of us type thing, and I really enjoyed it. But that's, that's where that book actually came from, and they've actually sung the entire thing and, uh, and had each one of the gifts. So, Oh, that is just too cute. Now, your, your first one was uh, Prepper Pete prepares right yes that was the first one now so you're you're getting prepared you've got some relatives that are you know sharing their experience and knowledge and you know kind of helping guide you as well as you reading books and a a thousand blogs i'm sure um so what sparked this idea to write a children's book you know i i always fancied myself as wanting to write a book when i grew up uh and (laughs) <laughs> and you know, 
you mentioned the the prepper survival genre has about 50 books a day coming out and that's that's probably fairly accurate too but i i wanted to write my own novel and so i i still got the outline somewhere uh i started mm-hmm. writing and one of my characters in the book uh he's basically going to a safe place to his parents house mm-hmm. and he's traipsing through the woods and he's got four kids in tow and uh loosely based kind of on my situation at the time and mm-hmm. i asked myself you know how does how would this guy like how do you prepare your kids for this you know hey hey right. kids by the way it's the end of the world don't want to scare you but if you could just grab everything that you could let's let's go on a walk and exactly <laughs> it's okay don't, sleep good sleep, sleep good tonight yeah don't don't be scared it's okay yeah uh ignore yeah. the marauders uh, but I was trying to figure out how how would you explain this to your kid, and so that lead led me to well, how would I explain this to my kids? And so then I did what any good red blooded American red blooded American would do. I I went to Amazon and started looking for books, uh, and um, I actually found that there were no books for kids. There were yeah. there were two or three books at the time that dealt with prepping if you have kids or how to prep for a family, but there was nothing directed at children. And so I said, well, I, I guess I'll, uh, I guess I should consider doing that instead. And in about 45 minutes, I had some downtime one day, uh, and I outlined what what eventually became uh, three of the Prepper Pete books. And the first one, I had to, I, I made it one book to start with, and I said, this is way too much info for one one book. And then that got chopped into three different outlines. And so it was really me wanting to explain to my kids, this is what. You know, this is why daddy is doing or mommy are doing what they're doing, but without mm-hmm. scaring them. That's kind of the key right. thing and, and the motivating factor behind it. Well, I think that is genuinely brilliant idea because I think a lot of people clap and these are adults immediately turn to their wife, mostly their wives, and say, you know, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. We have to, and, you know, they go into a panic and a freak out. And she's like cowering in a corner, going, "What? What? He's lost, he's lost it. it. Yeah, he's lost it. And we need to have him locked up. He needs um, immediate psychological help. And he's spending all of our money. We're not going to have any money left. <laughs> the, yep. Every dime is flying out the window for water filtration <laughs> and solar panels and marine batteries and all of these things that we know we we should have and we need them now." Right. So I, I really like that not scaring. And, that, and that's what Joe and I do. We have a very strict rule. And, and this is how we feel personally, too, is that you can't educate someone when they're fearful. I love your, what you're doing and, and the way you're doing it in, an, in a fun story. It's perfect. Back in when I first started this, uh, that was – right around the peak of the National Geographic's Doomsday Preppers uh, series that come out. And uh, I always tell people, if you watch that, you'll see pretty much what not to do. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Don't blow up a car with dynamite. <laughs> yeah, on national television. But it was kind of funny because people started, you know, so some people at work, you know, I, I don't really, obviously, when you write a book on the subject, it's kind of hard to say, oh, I'm not one of those guys. But, you know, some people at work kind of got hold of it. Uh, and this is not in the Navy, but a, a different job that I had at the time and because uh-huh. uh, I'm a reservist. And they were kind of like, you know, making jokes here and there. And then things like, you know, Hurricane Sandy happened, and we had some some big storms on the East Coast. And mm-hmm. I kind of just told them, you know, um, people that are prepared, yeah. it's not that big of a deal to them. But to those who aren't prepared, yeah. 
It is. And so I, I actually, uh, I've got a, I've got a zombie book hopefully coming down the road, but it basically just describes that people, people that are zombies are just people who aren't prepared when disaster strikes. Because if you look at the, the after effects of any major disaster that we've had, there are people just wandering around somewhat aimlessly. What? Right. And, you know, the psychological, right. the shock hits, you know, we've lost everything. And that mindset is uh, critical. And so, you know, Prepper Pete's main, I guess, tagline is that some people prepare because they're afraid, but our family doesn't have to be afraid because we are prepared. And so that's kind of what I wanted to get across to my kids. I'm not doing this out of fear. I'm doing this for peace of mind. And that, that's a huge difference in the approach that we take. Mm-hmm. You are absolutely right. And I wish that we could get everyone in that mindset. Just don't be fearful. If it happens, since you know you're prepared, you'll, you're going to get through it. You're going to get through it in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you might not be unscathed, but you're going to be able to do your best. So let's talk about Prepper Pete. Tell me a little bit about him. Prepper Pete is an ant. I chose him for a couple of different reasons. Uh, ants kind of prep uh-huh. in the spring and the summer and the fall so they can survive the winter. So they're kind of, it's kind of built into their nature, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, they're always working. You won't see a you won't see a lazy ant unless he's, <laughs> unless he's dead. <laughs> but, wait, wait. Um, he's not, do, do they play on their smartphones though? Yeah, yeah. Not they, not so much. Do I don't they play think. candy? No, yeah, no they're can- not playing Candy Crush. Yeah, they're playing uh, candy, candy Takeaway, I think. But um, so, but there there were <laughs> there were two other sides to it. Uh, there's actually in Proverbs six six it says, "Go to the ant, O you sluggard, and consider her ways." You know, she works during the harvest and she's prepared, and disaster doesn't. You know, so so there's a a faith based component to it, and then there's also right. uh, the Aesop's fable of the ant and the grasshopper. And so if you, when you're reading the Prepper Pete Prepares book, you know, the, the grasshopper's in there, and he's just kind of like this doofus guy that, you know, isn't quite making it uh, in some ways. And so mm-hmm. Prepper Pete, you know, he just, he's a guy that wants to see his family prepared, and the, he talks about how we prepare for different reasons. It could be natural disaster. It could be just so that uh, emergency workers can help others instead of focusing on those, you know, if we're, if we're good to go. Um, we focus. We prepare in case there's a power outage, in case there's a, a solar flare slash EMP. You know, and that's not. I'm not. I don't want to fear monger. So, you know, how do you just depict an EMP in a book without scaring a kid? But just those sorts of things. You know, a big sickness. So it just kind of goes through all these different reasons. And I had a little fun with it. You know, you're you're talking about those people that that look at you and kind of go, oh, you know, they kind of think you're a little off. And I just uh-huh. I, had, I had to include the one little page that says, you know, even the government says we should be prepared for at least three days. And so I always tell people, I'm like, well, do you have, you know, a spare tire in your car? Yeah. Oh, do you have, like, extra water? Yeah. Oh, well, you're a prepper. Oh, I'm not one of those. Oh, well, actually, you know, <laughs> do, you have, do you have life insurance? Yeah. Oh, you're prepared for something <laughs> catastrophe. And it's amazing when you, when you can just get people to see the different mindsets that it's not some huge thing. But I'll get people that will say, oh, I'm going to buy this book for my friend. And I'm like, oh, are they a prepper? And they're like, no. <laughs> well, why are you buying the book for them? Because they need to read it to their kids, and maybe they'll get the hint. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of, it kind of works out well from that perspective, too. But, but Pete is just a guy that, uh, that works with his friends. You know, we talk about self-reliance, but really it's a, it's a community thing. But he just wants to be able to tuck his kids in, in at night knowing that they're safe because he's doing what he can uh, to be responsible to take care of his family. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. 
Absolutely. Now, you have kids of your own, right? I do. I have four. All girls. Oh, yay. I'm sorry. Yay. <laughs> no, no apology needed, I promise. They're so cute. <laughs> now, you just talked about tucking, tucking kids in. Is that how you tuck your kids in? Uh, it is. Uh, when, when my... So I've got my girls are ages uh, 12, 10, 8, and almost 6. Uh, we'll, we'll be 6 in a couple of days. And we're on the even year, which makes it easy for me. You know, I used to make up bedtime stories for them when things when we were just doing whatever, tucking them in. And we made mm-hmm. bedtime routine kind of a big deal. And so when Prepper Pete kind of started happening, it was like, oh, well, what's, what's Prepper, what Prepper Pete do today to prepare? You know, what, what did he do for his family to get ready? And so those stories, as far as teaching them, like, why we were doing what we're doing. And sometimes I would ask them questions like, well, you know, how, what would you do if, if this happened and you couldn't get hold of mommy or daddy? Or what would you do mm-hmm. if you were in a theme park and, and you didn't know? Or do you know what mommy and daddy's phone number is? Uh, those sorts of things became part of story time. And they were just having fun, but they were learning at the same time. And so, yeah, I, I'd like to think that Prepper Pete is used for people around the world uh, to tuck their kids in as a launching point uh, for discussion of things that they need to know. So how would Prepper Pete and friends be used with their kids, someone else, like to say the non-prepper? Uh, that's, that's a good question, too. So I think there's, there's two folds to it. One, if you are a, are a prepper, it allows you to to talk to the subject to your kids at a level that they really understand. You know, some, some parents talk above their kids and some talk below them. There's, it's an interesting, it depends on the level of the child itself. Some it's for people, you know, that person that doesn't prepare and you're trying to give them a hint, it works well for that. The, the next book that's getting ready to come out is called Prepper Pete's Be Prepared book. And it, it goes through like literally steps that we should work with our kids on. Know your phone, I call it pages. Know your phone number, know your address, know your guardian uh, or point of contact, know your email address, and know steps to take in an emergency. And it's basic steps. If there's a fire, if you hear the fire alarm, if you need to call 911 because mom or daddy's not responsive. I didn't intend for Prepper Pete to be the end-all, be-all answer. I intended Mm -hmm. it to be a launching point for parents to discuss. And there are... Uh, Christy Brill, who's our illustrator, she's actually the wife of a Marine, active duty Marine in in Japan right now. She takes a lot of detail to put little uh, Easter eggs in some of the drawings that you can actually go through the book, not even read the words, and probably talk. One guy said he took an hour for him to go through the book with his kid just looking at the pictures. That dialogue is what I hope to spark. So if someone uses Prep Repeat for anything, I would hope it would be to communicate with their kids and talk to them about what they can be doing to be safer. Exactly. It, and it sounds like some basic things that every parent should be discussing with their kids. You know, what, what happens during a fire? Where are we going to meet? There's discussions that should occur with their kids. And I know my dad, who was also military, I was born on an Air Force base. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but he was very much into teaching my brother and I how to take care of ourselves, how to be safe, how to fight back camping, we knew how to start fires, and just all kinds of safety things. People don't let your kids just sit in the house all day and not get dirty. Let them get out and play. Yeah, especially in today's age of uh, childhood obesity and, you know, PE is one of, I'm surprised they even have PE at some schools. Right, let's just put them on computers so they can go on Facebook for an hour. But they can't play, or they can't play Oregon Trail because Susie dies of dysentery. Lord have mercy. (laughs) Which my kids play, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay, so advice for parents. 
teach your kids the safety and teach them emergency so that they know what to do if things happen. And do you think if people start mentioning, well, if you know, someone tries to take you or if there's a fire, do you think that is frightening to children or do you think that's educational? I think it's how you approach it. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier about your dad doing fun things with you. You know, so back to doomsday preppers, uh, you see them running these drills with their kids and they're like, put this gas mask on or you're going to die. Or, or you say, uh, you know, kids, we're going to teach you how to make a fire today without any matches. And if you don't learn to do this, then one day you may be in a situation where it's snowing, and you'll have hypothermia, and you'll die, and ravenous wolves will come and rip apart mm-hmm. your body, and you'll be thrown to the four corners of the earth. Good night. Sleep tight. Now, you could do that approach. Or you could say, hey, kids, you know, we're going to learn to make a fire, you know, and we'll use a lighter. That's fine. It doesn't matter. But we're going to learn the safe way to make a fire, fire pit, you know, just basics of it, you know, how to put the, the kindling in and that kind of stuff. And then we're going to make mm-hmm. s'mores. Your kids learned how to make a fire and they had a vested interest and there's some emotional attachment to it that they'll, they will remember and they'll remember the memories they had with you. They'll remember how to make the fire. And you did it without yeah. scaring them. I mean, that's I, I call that's it. Right. Parental prepping is when you do it with the right attitude as a parent. So even things like when I tell my kids, you know, if we ever get separated from each other, this is an eye-opener for some friends of mine. I took them to a little exercise. I said, uh, mm-hmm. if your kids got separated from you, what would they do? Oh, they'd call me. Okay, how are they going to call you? Well, my <laughs> contact saved in their phone. Okay, so how are they going to call you? And, and they realized, oh, my kids don't know my phone number. So then, you know, then it was this, they took about a week to teach the kids the actual, like, no kidding, how to dial all 10 digits. And then it was, okay, give them a random phone from a stranger and tell them to call you. Because, you know, an iPhone's different from, a, from an Android, different from a flip phone, you know. That's right. Heaven, heaven forbid they come across a pay phone. And so, I know. An actual ro- rotary dial, can you imagine? Oh, oh no, yeah, no, exactly. We, we, were, uh, we were driving down... When we were coming cross country for this last move, we were driving down the Adirondack Mountains in in New York, and Mm -hmm. uh, we pulled up in this random little restaurant in the middle of the mountains near a ski resort out of season, and there's like an old-fashioned phone booth. I slam on the brakes. My wife's like, what are you doing? We're having a lesson. And all all my kids (laughs) had to get out and go up to the phone and learn how to dial the operator. So just in case, you know, and it was fun. And we got pictures and they're like, oh, this old phone booth. And I was like, yeah, Superman would be proud. And they were like, who's that? So had to have that. I failed as a parent. But it was was this fun adventure, you know, a little crazy – but but we had a good time doing it, and we saw a phone we saw a phone the other day, and they were like, "Hey, Dad, we know how to use one of those." So that's right, that's and, right. And that was a year ago, and they they can tell me, "Oh, you hit zero, and if it asks for money, they'll get the operator, and you tell them you want to make it's an emergency, and you know just just the discussion of how it takes place. Um, exactly. But sometimes I'll grab like you know an iPhone new iPhone comes out, and I say, "Hey, can I borrow that?" And I'll hand it to my kid and say, "Call me." And they've got to figure out, like, look for the phone icon. Because, you know, if it's a different kind of icon than what they're used to, you know, there's some parents, they tell me they can't use a computer. And I'm like, well, did you stop and ask, what what should I look for? I mean, it, so it's important to teach the concepts and the critical thinking skills to our kids, not just the monkey, you know, push this button here. And I think that's right. one of the things right. that society has lost is that that critical thinking and uh, just stopping and asking, how can I solve this problem? And, you know, if you teach your kids that for prepping, that will serve them throughout all of life, not just for preparedness. 
I completely agree, and I love the term parental prepping. Good idea. Um, and also the fact that they need to think about things instead of just following the steps that someone tells you to do. You know, I wish I could teach some adults that, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I think that, uh, that you being in the medical profession probably understand this better than anyone, uh, that when you walk into a situation, first thing you have to do is to assess what the needs are, what the priorities are, and then you, you progress down the list. And that's something we can teach to our kids that no matter what situation they find themselves in, they can assess a situation and determine what's important for them to do. So I think that that's one of the critical things that as parents we have a responsibility to teach our kids. Oh, absolutely. Now, do you teach classes, parenting classes? I do. Uh, I teach parenting classes. So as a, as a chaplain, as a minister, I spend a lot of time um, – working with couples or working with parents and it's not look i'm not the end all be all like most awesome parent ever i'm not pretending to be um but one of the things that i find so uh common with people that aren't doing it as well as they could is a lack of intentfulness that they don't realize that someone's always watching that you can't fool your kids. You know, when my wife and I are driving down the road, she no longer turns to me and says, honey, you're speeding, and the speed limit says, she, she doesn't do that. What she turns to me and says is, is that how you want Abby to drive when she turns 16? <laughs> because yep, there you go. my daughters are going to grow up to do what I do. They're going to marry a man like me. How they see me treat their mother determines the type of man they're going to eventually marry. So... In the end, with all of these books, did you really direct it towards children or, or did you direct it towards adults? What's the target audience? You know, I don't think it has to be a, an either or. I think it's more of a both and. And one of the things I always joke about when I do children's sermons on Sunday morning as a pastor is that they're not for the kids. <laughs> uh, it's just a message that's sugar-coated so much that even an adult can understand it. And so uh, with Prepper Pete, you know, the, the age range starts around the three-year-old and goes up. But really, if it helps clarify something for an adult, if it helps them discuss it with their kids, the target audience is anyone who's willing to listen and engage and cares about their kids uh, being safer and more prepared for whatever life throws at them. That's really who the target audience is. I don't, I don't want to limit it to, uh, to one age group or another. But that being said, it's written. It's fun for the younger kids. And I think that most of the adults that have read it, it's the enthusiasm that they have when they read it to their kids that makes their kids love it so much. No, I think it's wonderful. And, and I do think as parents are reading to their kids, they think, oh, I didn't think about that question oh, I should get that, or I should do that, or I should learn that skill. So it's, yeah, I believe it's for both, absolutely. So you've written these books. What feedback or even criticism, unfortunately, we all get that, but what have you received, and, and how did you respond to those people? I normally just uh, shut them down completely and fuss. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> Good job. Good job. I, I love very, it. <laughs> I, yeah, I very much, uh, very much welcome feedback. And uh, there's a form on the website. I get, I get some probably a couple of times a week as far as uh, either an idea for a new book or, hey, you should have done this. But I take it very seriously because usually the feedback is well-intended and it has a mm -hmm. good purpose to it. Uh, one, of the earlier, one of the earlier criticisms that I got was, 
the first one says Prepper Pete works to be more self-sufficient, which means he doesn't need help from a lot of people. And the, the, fee- the, the feedback was, well, no one can be self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. You can't do it on your own. Well, yeah, that, that's true, but that's why it's PrepperPeteAndFriends.com and not mm-hmm. PrepperPeteDoesItByHimself.com. Um, <laughs> right, or, or PrepperPeteLivesOnTheTopOfAMountainByHimself.com. <laughs> exactly. Because, and, you, know, and you know, when you talk about if you really want to define self-sufficiency like that, then, yeah, I mean, that guy that just spent uh, $1,500 in six months building a sandwich, and, he, you know, he grew everything from scratch. He went and ground the wheat and grew it and, you know, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for right. how can we work together to not be as dependent on the outside world. That's all. That's right. I mean, it, take baby steps and strive for as much as possible, but it's it's impossible. Since humans have been around, we've all been hanging out with each other. Why would this be any <laughs> different, right? Yes. We are <laughs> creatures creatures of compatibility and fellowship. Yeah. Exactly. No, it's not fun to just be by yourself. We look for social interactions. That's why Facebook is so popular, even though it's on a computer, because people are interacting. We all desire human interaction and contact. We like it. It's good for us. Let's talk about your books. Um, Tell me, of course, uh, a little bit more about the true story. You did. Really, we talked about um, the Prep Repeat 12 Days of Prep Christmas. Now, you were talking about the bucket, and I want to make sure that I have this clear, that the kids put all of the stuff in the bucket and gave it to you for Christmas, right? Yes, and and they literally uh, all sang the song uh, to the tune, uh, and so I'm thinking of having a song contest this year of people that want to sing the 12 Days of Prep for Christmas and put it Aww. on the Facebook page or YouTube. So if there's anybody out there that, that, has, that can carry a tune better than I can, but it literally, the first day is a Luggable Lou with some BioTP, and every single one of the other 11 days fits inside a Luggable Lou. I think, <laughs> I think you could, I think I priced it out. You can buy it all for about 150 to $200, uh, and that includes the ammo. The wow. Five zombie rounds plus 15. <laughs> very good. Very good. I should... If old Dr. Bones would be here, he would definitely start singing because he sings to me all the time. So (laughs) I'm going to have to open up the book and make him sing that to me. (laughs) And just make sure recording recording it in secret so you can put it on YouTube for the contest. There you go. Oh, that would be so, so funny. You definitely don't want to hear me sing, but he's got a good voice, so we'll let him do it. Awesome. (laughs) All right, let's. Yeah, let's talk about um, the the gun of a son, which is really funny because I keep wanting to say son of a gun, of course. You know, that's a tough subject for a lot of people, not so much for themselves, but, you know, the mention of the word gun in front of a kid is like, oh, oh now little Johnny's going to go out and buy a gun and shoot somebody because I mentioned the word gun. Tell me a little bit or- about that. Or point his finger at somebody on the playground. Can't do that either. Oh, remember our plastic I'm sorry, I had, gun? I had, I had to. It was low-hanging fruit. So, yeah, sorry. I didn't I know. know. It's true. <laughs> no, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. You know, I grew up with plastic guns, and they look really real. And my brother had all of them besides his real BB gun when he was two years old. But, you know, my dad put that away. He didn't have it with him in his room. But we had plastic guns. We played cowboys. We we pretended like bad people were coming and we had to get them and 
We yep. played with these things. Yep. Didn't I haven't shot anybody, honest to goodness, I promise. I'm a good person. I don't walk around shooting people because I played with plastic guns when I was a little kid. And having guns doesn't equate to it either. That's that's what really makes no. me I grew up I grew up with fake guns, but I grew up like in high school when you walk through the parking lot, uh, there's probably at least 50 pickup trucks out of out of all the cars, you know, maybe 150 cars, and mm-hmm. every single one of them had one or two rifles in the back window. Of course. The window rolled down, not locked. People went hunting before school or after school, and, you know, we didn't have any mass shootings. We didn't have any issues. I mean, it was just – it was a culture, and it was it was very safe. And I think that the reason it was safe in a lot of ways is because of familiarity with guns. <laughs> I'm amazed at how many people are scared of the topic of guns, and then you ask them, well, have you ever taken a safety class or shot a gun? Oh, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. Well, you know what? How about you get up to speed and learn something before you talk about it? <laughs> so. Exactly. How are you an expert on guns and gun safety if you don't know anything about them? You've never shot them. You don't understand them. You don't understand that there is a safety on them. You don't understand you actually have to pull a trigger for a bullet to come out. Sorry if I sounded condescending there. <laughs> I did mean it. <laughs> it. It didn't come across. You're, you're good. Don't worry. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> they but don't that, just go off sitting on the desk, people. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, and I like the old analogy, if you're going to blame guns for shooting people, you've got to blame spoons for making people fat. Right, or we need to take, you know, you know what we really need to take off the road is we need to take cars off the road. If you really want to stop killing people, we need to get cars off the road. I mean, we can't fly, fly any planes because, you know, if there's oh, a plane crash, oh yeah, you know, we, yep. we, have, we can't have plane crashes. So no cars, no planes. Um, oh, a horse might fall over on you, so we shouldn't have any horses. A cart might overturn, so we shouldn't have any carts either. I mean, you could just go on and on. We should never have a swimming pool because someone might drown. We need to get rid of the oceans because, you know, there's sharks in the ocean. Carbon. Oh, and not, do you have knives you know, in your kitchen and fire and, and matches? We need to get rid of those. I, oh, oh no, 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 please. Don't, don't even talk to me about matches. I've started a campaign, Mothers Against Matches. Ma'am? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Right. There you go, Mothers Against Matches. That'll go great in the military. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay. There you go. I'll see if I can oh, get it to catch goodness. on. Here. Yeah, actually, here in California, it might actually catch on. I'll see what I can do. But, starting banners. Yeah, I'm going to do a website. But and it's I, all going to be amazed. tongue in cheek. <laughs> no, agreed. And that's and that's part of you know that's part of why I, I I'm trying to have fun with this too. I mean, come on, this is this is a of phenomenal. Uh, but you know, people that don't laugh, I just tell them, well, you know, it's kind of been proven that sense of humor is directly tied to IQ. <laughs> I love it. I so, love like, it. You just kind of let that one float and walk away, and they're kind of like, oh. And later they get it, but that's okay. Um, that's great. I love that one. Okay, I have to remember that. I'm writing that one down. <laughs> but but Gun of a Son, I mean, it, it was intended to be kind of a, a play on the words. And the sequel that's coming out is Gun of a Son 2, but it's comma T-O-O. And that's going to be a gun information book for kids. Uh, and so I kind of struggled on the Gun of a Son because we had I actually had an extra 10 pages in the back that I took out because I wanted to not – create confusion. I wanted to focus simply on safety, and it allows parents to talk to their kids about guns, even if they don't have a gun, even if they don't like guns. Even, I mean, it, it goes through the rules of gun safety and why, why it's important. And there are some other gun books out there for kids. I'm not, I'm not saying that those aren't good, 
Uh, but things like the Eddie Eagle program, you'll never see Eddie Eagle with a gun. He just says, don't touch it, run away, find an adult. Well, that's okay, but, you know, so if you tell a kid that, tell a kid that is an absolute rule, now if you go to a gun range or you see a cop with a gun, I mean, kids think in absolutes, and we have to be right. careful to to not do that. So this this is an a safety book. Information, I believe, is key to safety with regard to guns. And so teaching people about that. And it avoids the forbidden fruit syndrome. You know, when you tell a kid you can't do something, what's the first thing mm-hmm. they want to do? Oh, yeah, don't touch the, the, the hot burner. The, you, if you turn around the, you're, and you, you flip that really quickly, uh, little Johnny, and I say this little Johnny because my brother was Johnny, little Johnny gotcha. will reach up and, and he, he'll put his hand, he'll touch it, he will, because you told him not to. He's got to figure out why in the world mom's saying don't touch it. And, oh, I burnt myself. Well, no, no kidding. But you know what? I bet Johnny won't reach his finger up there and touch that again. Yeah, the next time you say, "Hey, don't touch the burner." Remember last, yeah. So that's yeah. that's kind of what this one was. And and you know, I tell my kids, if you want to touch a gun or you know hold a gun or clean a gun, all you got to do is come ask. And right. I will gladly, you know, you asked earlier if I teach if I, you know the classes. And I I've, I've been. It's kind of funny. Sometimes I'll get invited to schools. Oh, you teach kids about emergency preparedness. Oh, we'd love you to come speak. And then I'll be okay. Let me send you a copy of the books. And you know, and then I and then when I walk in the door, they're like, uh, yeah, there's a gun on page twelve. <laughs> and I you know, and I just look at them like, yeah, uh, you know. So the, anyway, so it, it's amazing though the the attitude. Well, I, we may have a parent complain. And I'm like, well, or you could grow a backbone. Um, but uh, anyway, right. neither Good here nor there. No, I love that. And let's repeat but, that, or you could grow a back backbone. I'm going to repeat <laughs> it because it's worth listening to. <laughs> yeah, man so, up, people, man up. <laughs> yeah, man up a little, prep up, whatever you, whatever you want to word it. But um, <laughs> but I really, I just want kids to know. I want them to be safe, and to be safe, being scared right. is not being safe. And I think that that's one thing that our society kind of misses the point on. So I want to teach safety, not fear. And that's one of the things that this is this was geared towards. So um, it's a great opportunity. I have a lot of people that come to me uh, when they have younger kids, like around the 10 to 14 age, and they just mm-hmm. always say, hey, you know, could I come over and you teach him some gun safety and let him shoot for their birthday? And it's a great opportunity because I teach the kid, hey, look, anytime you want to see a gun or shoot a gun, you ask your dad or mom, and if they bring you to my house, I'll do whatever I can to make it happen. And so they don't have to have the, oh, there's a chance to touch a gun, because they know in the back of their brain, if I ever want to go shoot, all i got to do is ask Mr. Kermit, and boom, we're good to go. So I think that's really key to, to kind of keeping kids safe is letting them know that it's not forbidden. There's just a proper way to do it, and you have to have a healthy respect. Exactly. You need to speak to an adult and have an adult supervising everything that's done so that nobody gets hurt. That's the purpose. We don't want... People that get hurt, we want education and safety. So let's talk about survivalist Sam stocks up and the four B's of prepping. What are the four B's? Um, the four B's of the prepping, uh, kind of a monitor on the Marine Corps in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, beans, bullets, bandages, and barter. And uh, the original Marine Corps motto is when you're going into combat or doing something, you remember beans, bullets, bandages, and bad guys. And so I didn't want to, again, without scaring, but I think that yeah. from a prepping perspective, uh, barter items are really key as well, uh, not only for barter but for charity, uh, for longevity-type stuff. And so Survival of Sam is Pete's best friend. 
He's uh, he's where Pete goes if stuff really gets bad, like a flood. And mm-hmm. uh, he's a squirrel, uh, you know, because squirrels stock up as well. They're, and they're little nuts. And so Sam, uh, he's also their gun gun safety instructor, which was kind of in the second in the gun safety book. But it just goes through and talks about everything from you know, uh, we need water, we need food, we need non non GMO seeds or heirloom seeds. Right. Um, reloading supplies and hunting and self-defense that's the bullets aspect uh the the bandages are kind of the things that we don't use every day but that we should Mm -hmm. learn everything from a survival library and books to medical Mm -hmm. care and that's that's actually in the book is the medical part because you can learn that now and use it now and if something happens you'll be prepared as well um and then the barter is everything from toilet paper to to knives to take your pick of things so so Survival of Sam Stocks Up is just kind of the, the sequel. It was one of those original three I came up with uh, of kind of ramping up. The first book talks about why we prepare, and then Survival of Sam starts talking about these are some of the things that we do to prepare. And, uh, and then there's, you know, there's another, another 25 or 75 books I've got planned, so I'm getting there. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I think you're taking people on a journey, and if they start – reading these and reading them to their children that through this journey, I think you said you have like 25 books outlined that you're like in the future still to come. Yes, right? ma'am. Wow. Just a matter of time. <laughs> um, let's talk about your website. So the primary website is prepperpeteandfriends.com, just like it sounds. I invite people to come through there, uh, and they can leave a message for me. They can see some of the things that are there. It's not, it's not all fancy and a bag of chips or anything. It's just a very simple website. Uh, it'll link you through to the books. They're available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, pretty much anywhere where books are sold. And they're on Kindle, so uh, the, the ebook version. But if they go to Facebook slash Prepper Pete and Friends, uh, and they like our page, we have a drawing once a month uh, for one of the books or the series or just kind of whatever's going on. We're doing a lot of fun stuff, and I just I love to interact with people. And so of those 25 books that you, you mentioned, uh, you know, probably a third of those are ideas from kids. They get a thank you in the, in the dedication of the book itself. They help me name the character sometimes, or they help me de- determine what the outline for the book is going to be. Uh, one of them, uh, a big one that comes to mind was Burnless Bernie uh, builds a fire, and he's a, he's a beaver that cuts down wood and builds fires safely and different ways to build a fire. Or um, Radio Ricky receives a message. He's a ham operator. He's actually a pig, and he eats turkey bacon. <laughs> well, I want to thank you, Carmen, for being on. I want to thank you again for your service. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that appreciate the books that you're writing. So thank you so much, Carmen, for being on. I really, really appreciate uh, what you're doing and uh, who you are and uh, your, your future endeavors. Lots of luck. Well, thank you, Amy, very much. Again, it's been an honor and a pleasure, and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime down the road. Keep prepping. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.